Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Faton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. As always, shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles, Subtle Solution Media, helping to make this podcast possible. And we have a good one in store for you, ladies and gentlemen. Not too far from us in Greenville, South Carolina, coming out of North Carolina, we have Dr. Eddie Caparucci on the podcast, author, therapist, specializing in sexual and pornography addiction, uh, taking the time to be with us and share some knowledge. Doctor, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I always love getting in front of new people and hopefully being able to offer a few insights that may help them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a lot of great insight to be shared during this episode. Before we jump into the subject matter, I always love giving my guests the floor really quick to kind of give their elevator pitch, their introduction as to who they are so the audience can get acquainted a little bit. So please. Yeah, I am a Christian counselor. I am licensed by the state of Georgia. I've just moved here to North Carolina. So in the process of getting that changed over, I specialize in the area of sexual and pornography addiction. I've been practicing now for about 10 years. This is my second career. I was for 25 years in the marketing and advertising world, working in a pharmaceutical arena, worked with some of the major agencies up in the Northeast, in New York, in New Jersey before God got a hold of me and said, I have something different for you to do. So now today, my wife and I, we have a joint practice where I work with men who are struggling with their problematic sexual behaviors. And my wife, Cherry, works with their spouses and helping them to deal with their betrayal. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned before, I've written several books. The latest book I've written was uh, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction. And for me, I'm a big believer in understanding that it is unresolved childhood pain that still haunt us today. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of that we want to jump into. I love to start with the origin of the practice, the origin story of what our guests are doing now. So you mentioned this being your second career and that being a transition. How did that transition come about? You mentioned God getting a hold of you. I'm interested to know for the listeners and the viewers what that process was like and how that changed your life. Yeah, I would, you know, I was always a Christian, but I was what you would call a passive Christian. You know, I went to church on Sunday, I threw my money in the collection plate and I left and, you know, never picked up the Bible, didn't quite understand what Christianity was about, except felt very guilty. And we moved here, we moved to Georgia about 19 years ago, 18 years ago, before a job opportunity, or at least I thought it was a job opportunity and it wasn't. What it was for the opportunity for me to sit in a church and hear a pastor say for the first time, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to make a long story short, because it is a long story, that took hold of me. And I wound up surrounding myself with some amazing mentors in that church who really taught me about what it is to be a disciple of Christ. And that was the first time I read the Bible. I read the Bible. I've never picked up a Bible in my life. And I read it from cover to cover four times over a period of two years. And that began the whole awakening of my relationship with God. But then what happened was God said, I have more for you. 
And I was like, well, okay, what is that? And he goes, I want you to change careers. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not dead. I did that. I did not sign up for That is not what this is about. And that began my two year battle with him, fighting him over, you know, what he wanted me to do. And my wife just walked on the sidelines, just laughing, knowing ultimately who was going to win this battle. And I tried to, I tried bargaining. I tried everything, you know, like, well, maybe if I did it on weekend, would that work? And I don't do my job. It was like, no, we're going to. So finally, I left the advertising and marketing world and I went back to school. I got another master's degree, did all the state work that was required, all the supervision and became a counselor. And I became a generalist. And what happened over a very short period of time, and to let you know, I am a recovering sex addict. I was more of a womanizer than anything else, but it started when I was like 16 and went till I was almost 40 before I finally sought the help for it. And at that time, I came to realize my problem was I had an abandonment issue, not an attachment disorder. So therefore, I have one foot in and one foot out of relationship. So anyway, going back to the practice, as time goes on, the first year, these guys start coming into my practice, and they all look like me in the way I was back then. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is... And then I came, I came to realize this is why he put me here, because I could use my skill set. I could use my testimony about what I, the changes I've made, the transformation of my heart, how I began a new marriage that for almost 25 years now that I've been faithful the entire time. You know, again, you shouldn't have to brag about that, but that's what it is. And with that, it now gave me the opportunity to tend those who are just struggling and hurting and don't know how to ever escape this torture that we call a sex and pornography addiction. Yeah. And we know it could just kind of be a, a loop around and, and just a repetitive process of you make some progress, you go back, you make some progress, you go back. And there could be some folks listening right now who might be caught in that right now and in their addiction. And you mentioned you know, the abandonment issues as a child and the one foot in, one foot out. And a lot of your practice and your work talks about the childhood trauma that plays into our addiction. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that on how the trauma we experience in our youth can play into some of the issues and the addiction problems that we have in our adulthood. Right. Well, you know, think about what goes on in our childhood and many times and, you know, there's traumas that some people go through, there's neglect and neglect can happen in a home where you have wonderful parents, you have parents who are very loving, but they just don't know how to nurture in a proper way, or they don't have the ability to provide the emotional connection with their children. So what they do is they do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like mom take care of the house and mom clean the clothes and mom will do that. And dad may go to your baseball games, may even coach and things like that, or your dance recital. But when it comes to, oh, come sit on my lap and talk to me and share with me your problems, your discomfort, parents are nowhere to be found because it makes them feel uncomfortable. They don't know how to do that. And we're not taught in many cases, I believe, at the heart of all addictions. It's the inability to sit with emotional and mental distress. Mm. We can't sit there with that. So therefore, we have to find a distraction. And some people find it with food, alcohol, drugs, 
internet work, staying busy, and some people find it with sex and pornography. But that was at the core. If we're not taught how to sit with this emotional distress, sit with those feelings, and then what to do with them, we're going to figure out only one way. What can a kid figure out? A kid can figure out, well, one, he doesn't have a lot of worldly experiences, and two, he also is more emotionally charged in his thinking than he is rationally thinking. So there's only one explanation. What do I do with the pain? I won't think about it. If I'm not going to think about it, what am I going to do? I'm going to run away. I'm going to distract myself. And so therefore, it may be too much food or too much television, whatever it may be. And then you take that into your adult world. And maybe and now it's too much sex, too much pornography. That's where your obsession is. So when we go to answer your question, what happens is that those unresolved childhood pain points, they get activated by negative events today. So if I grew up in an environment where my father was constantly demeaning me by the fact that, you know what, you're just not very smart, you're, you know, you know, you're kind of stupid. And then I go and I do something. And my wife said to me, man, you really weren't thinking, were you, when you did that? That's going to trigger my inner child. And now my sense of discomfort is going to increase dramatically. I don't want to sit with that discomfort. So what do I do? I go and I run to my addiction. Mm, yeah, it's amazing you said that because if I could be vulnerable and real on the podcast as well and share with you, I've had my own journey in terms of a childhood trauma, something I experienced with made me question my decision making in my adulthood. And it's something where because when you mentioned that the trigger, if someone were to say, what were you thinking? I have now kind of identified as that is a trigger for me when someone's like, what were you thinking? It's like, oh my gosh. And that's something that really kind of was internalized in me for so long and manifested in different ways. That healing process, it doesn't happen quick. And a friend of mine says, okay, you know, you can't heal what you don't reveal. And you also talk about the role that shame can play in one managing their addiction. And a lot of times, whether it be alcohol, whether it be pornography, sexuality, the gym, things like that, a lot of us have a hard time admitting that addiction because we're either ashamed of it or we relapse into the addiction because of our shame. I'd love to, to hear more about your thoughts uh, on that role of shame. Remember what is shame? Shame is saying that I'm bad. Okay. It is not, not describing your behavior. It's describing you. I, there's something wrong with me. I am defective. And with that then becomes the sense of feeling defeated. I'm never going to be able to overcome this. You know, it's just part of my nature. It's a part of the way I was designed. It is part of my character. And it keeps you locked in that cycle. That you keep repeating the same things over and over again versus something if you feel guilty about something. Okay, my behavior, I felt bad about that. That was awful. But it doesn't define who I am. Shame is defining you. So whatever addiction you're involved in, that's what's defining you. And that's the label you will start to wear. And with that label, now comes the idea of, okay, now here I am. I'm just stuck. This is me. I will forever be a sex addict. I will forever be a porn addict. I will forever be a drug addict. And that is not the case. That is not true. We should wear one label, one label only. And that is the prince of a king or the princess of a king. Yeah. 
No, that's amazing. And that's very encouraging for folks to hear. And I do want them to really have that resonate because when we put a definition, a friend of mine says, you know, we are what we call ourselves. We are what we say we are out loud. And when we start putting these labels onto ourselves, we end up following the behavior. And it's amazing how powerful the mind is in that regard. Backtracking really quick to the inner child, you mentioned there's nine inner children that you've identified. I'd like to know who those nine are and how they manifest as we grow okay. up as adults. Where they all started was, you know, years ago when I started working with these men, what I was able to identify through my work with them were nine areas, why, or nine reasons why men abuse sex. And if I continued this process that I call the inner child recovery process, which is a new treatment method for treating pornography and sex addiction, what I wanted to do is I wanted to externalize the addict. I wanted to externalize the addiction. Therefore, getting just to what you were just saying, Ted, helped me move away from shame. Because now it's like this. And how many men have said to me like, oh, so it's my inner child. Well, you know what? I can do something about him. But if it's me, I don't know if I could do anything. But again, I'm so fraud. So therefore, it was the sense of let's externalize him. But those nine kids that I came up with were they range from the bored child, the unaffirmed child, the unnoticed kid, the emotionally voided child, which is the number one kid. This is the one who have a very difficult time emotionally connecting with other people. They got the message along the way that feelings are not really important or that they were dangerous. And therefore, what they do is they substitute sex and physical intimacy for emotional intimacy of uh, the need for control child, the entitled child. There's the weak and inferior kid. These are kids who were taught by circumstances, peers, siblings, maybe even parents, that you're not the same as everyone else, as other kids. There's something wrong with you. You don't measure up to them. You know, they're better than you are. And so therefore, with them, they feel this sense of a strong sense of self-loathing mm -hmm. for themselves. And then the last two children are one the child who is early sexually stimulated, which means they may have stumbled across pornography or actually saw people or heard people engaging in sexual activity and the sexually abused child. And then the last one is the stressed kid. And the stressed kid, they were raised in an environment that were very either neglectful or abusive. And what happened in that case, they had a great deal of anxiety that they were facing. But what a child would do, because a child doesn't want to feel this level of anxiety, because if they do, if they feel it for too long, it turns to depression. So what they'll do is they start to desensitize themselves to it. And it's almost like, you know what? No, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. And I've like some of the people who come in to see me and we talk about stress. And, you know, I say to them, like, wow, you know what? You, you seem like you have a lot of anxiety. And they're like, no, I don't feel like I have any anxiety. I think I'm good. As we walk through it and then they realize, they say, oh, my gosh, I never realized how stressed I was mm -hmm. because they've done such a good job of suppressing those feelings. So those are your nine kids. They're all different. They all have different pain points, but they also have what are called core emotional triggers. And it's those triggers that we have to be aware of 
So therefore, again, you know, you take the kid who the unaffirmed child, if I feel that someone has criticized me and I have the unaffirmed child in one of my kids, that kid's going to get activated because it's like all of a sudden, oh, here it is. Once again, people don't think we can do anything right. We're always wrong. Nothing's ever good enough for people. And now he starts to get activated. My sense of discomfort starts to elevate. And again, I don't want to sit with it. So I run away. Could that the thing about our inner child is that kid wants one thing. Mm-hmm. Just one thing. He wants comfort. That's yeah. all he wants. And he figured out how do I get comfort? I distract myself from pain. Yeah. And I think that's a trap a lot of people fall into. And this actually, when you talk about the inner child and when you describe those children and them running away, I think of when I was a child and to be honest, the pornography available there was a magazine, if that maybe a channel. But now the access to it is not only so accessible, it's not only right there in front of you, but it's also there at a depth that I don't know if it was ever available like that before. What kind of implications do you think that's having to our youth these days? Oh, my gosh. Sorry to cut you off, but man, you're hitting on a subject right now that just, it really literally, I'm serious, it can keep me up at night. We're in the midst of an epidemic already, okay? It is estimated that there are probably anywhere between four and six people who really suffer from a very severe pornography or sexual addiction. And what that means is they, sex spills over into other other. Uh, parts of their lives, such as their relationship or work or keeping them isolated. They don't go out with friends. That number, I know without a doubt, is going to at least triple. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's going to triple is because not just the fact that we have kids who can hit a button and come up with some of the most vile images regarding sex that people have ever seen in history, but the fact that they're being unsupervised and they're being allowed to do that, they're doing it behind closed doors in their room. And we're seeing the average age now that children are exposed to porn is 10. Wow. At 10, you know, that that is not what should be in our eyes. That is not what they should be seeing. And the thing that scares me the most, Ted, is that the message pornography is, is pushing out to young boys is it's okay to objectify young girls. Mm-hmm. But worse yet, if teaching little girls, it's okay to be objectified. Wow. I mean, we are in the next series, the next generation of sex and addiction counselors that are coming. They're going to have their hands full beyond anything I've ever had. I, mean, I turn away about 10 people a week. And I have a full practice of over 30 people a week, but I have a good network that I send people to, but this is just going to be, it's going to escalate and escalate. And we really need to do something to start to rein it in. And a lot of it has to do with education, education to our children, but also education to parents to be more responsible and not to put devices in their hands unsupervised. Yeah. 
And we know with social media and a lot of the things that come, I mean, you have apps that have fake icons now that parents think it's a camera app when it's not the case. And we've even just seen recently with the pandemic, with the Google Classroom links, how kids are going on at two o'clock in the morning on those classroom links, video chatting unsupervised and parents not knowing what's going on there. So very, very scary situation that we find ourselves in. It's time to pay attention. And I'm going to ask this for some of the listeners, you know, the devil's advocate listeners out there, which might think they say, hey, I don't have an addiction. I don't have a problem. It's, it's casual every now and then. You know, what do you say to someone with those kind of remarks? Someone who thinks, eh, this is yeah, fine. I would say what about. I would say to them is that, you know what, pornography, think about pornography. Think about the people who are involved in pornography. And there are many, I meet many men who, and even women who say there's nothing wrong with porn. And I said, well, you know, I'm not sure if there's anybody who really inspires, especially from a female standpoint, to become a porn actress. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him a question. I said, tell me about that 12-year-old you met, that 12-year-old girl. And you said to her, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, oh, I know. She goes, I want to take my clothes off in front of a camera and have sex with strange men and women. Where is she? No one has ever been able to answer that question for me because mm-hmm. they haven't found her. Now, I say, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if she exists. I bet there are some little girls who exist that way. But you know why? Because someone or someone's have hurt her very badly. Most of the women who are involved in pornography have very low self-worth and self-esteem. Many of them are pressured into it. Many are more forced into it. It is not one of these things where it's like people just go running there to say, oh, this is my career that I want. Are there not a handful? Perhaps. But it is not the large majority. It is an industry that victimizes people. And all you have to do is go back and start reading some of the testimonies of people who've been in the industry. And hear the horror stories of what went on and what they endured. And then you start to turn your stomach away from porn forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not necessarily thinking of, okay, you might not have a problem, but you're supporting an industry that, in essence, isn't doing too much good in the world. No, the porn industry doesn't care about people, cares about money. That's all it's about is money. And it's actually run by one of the largest corporations in the world. So, I mean, it's something that people need to become more educated with. Yeah. So, And speaking of education, you talk about the correlation between low emotional IQ and porn and sex addiction and those two going hand in hand. I mean, you mentioned, hey, the way to combat this pandemic that we're pretty much in already is through education. So what are the correlation between those two? Yeah. Well, we go back to the idea that Go back to, again, early childhood development. And what we find is that many people who have a sex or pornography addiction and even go into other addictions, you're going to go back and you're going to find that certain steps in childhood development were missed. They weren't taught how to regulate their emotion. They weren't taught how to maybe attune themselves to other people's emotion and how to be able to deal with that. They weren't taught about empathy 
and what was what's involved there. So without some of the basic skills that we have, and without perhaps maybe a good role model at home of what a loving family is, they don't learn what emotional intimacy is. Mm. And so therefore, they're chasing it. The problem is, they don't know they're chasing it. It's like a void, but they don't know what that void is. So then they stumble across sex, and they're like, oh, this fills the void. This is it. This is what I'm looking for. I will show you how much I love you by the way I make you feel. And, oh, I never feel more love than when you touch me and when we have sex. Then I'm at the height of feeling this closeness until we're done. And then it's like, okay, wander away. Oh, I, I need to feel loved again. Let me come back to you. And that's the problem. They build their intimacy on physical intimacy. That's what the relationship built on. And then they'll sprinkle the physical intimacy on top. Not God is not God designed for our relationship. It is about emotional intimacy, and we sprinkle the physical in to enhance that. So therefore, these people they don't really know how to identify their own emotions. If they can, they don't know. They're afraid to verbalize them. They're afraid to be vulnerability of a dirty word for these people. I can't be vulnerable. I can't be open. Ooh, you know, and they can't take on other people's emotions. These are the ones who will say, let me see, how do I fix it? You know, or I shut it down. I shut it down by you being aggressive. You know, stop. This is stupid. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Or I run away. And what you do is you leave your spouse feeling very lonely, feeling very rejected. And sometimes when you're doing the sexual aspect of it, feeling very used. So part of what we need to do, it's not just to help them deal with the behavior problem, which is the sex or the porn, but we have to transform the heart where they realize that, you know what, emotional intimacy is what I'm really seeking. And I have to learn how to pursue that the problem is they just don't know how to pursue it. They have to be taught. Yeah. And I would say that it's a magical thing, a scary thing at that, the emotional intimacy. And it's, in fact, one of the most beautiful things I've been able to experience, and it was one of my first mentors who told me, hey, you know, Ted, there is a difference between sex and intimacy. And when I finally experienced what that emotional intimacy was, it became clear as day. So for any of the listeners out there who's going through that exploration themselves, yet yeah, don't be afraid to open up because the same walls that you're using to protect your heart is the same walls that's blocking that intimacy that you, you so badly mm -hmm. seek. I don't want to finish this podcast without talking about the recovery process. I know for anyone who's made it this far, we've spoken a lot about kind of the underlying maybe factors that play into the addiction, but we definitely want to talk about the recovery process and you have what's called the inner child recovery process. I'd love for you to touch on that before, as we start wrapping up this. Uh, this sure. Podcast. Yeah. Well, I mean, first we got to start with what you said earlier and that is I have to own it. I have to identify and say, Hey, I got a problem. I have an issue, put it out there. With the inner child recovery process, what we're doing is again, we're trying to uncover what are those unresolved childhood pain points that still bother me today that I still get triggered with. So part of the recovery is once I identify what are those core emotional triggers, perhaps maybe I'm not good enough, that I am invisible, I feel invisible, that I feel, you know, stupid, whatever they are, and there are many of them. Once we identify them, 
Now, whenever a negative event comes, I can sit there and say, okay, wait a second. Is that what the emotion that goes with that event? And after I identify that, say, okay, does that match up with my core emotional triggers? If it does, I got to go to my kid. I got to sit. I got to say, okay, what are you pulling out of the storage unit? What are you pulling out from the path that you're bringing here and these two worlds are colliding? So that I could try to figure out why am I all of a sudden becoming this emotionally charged? Hmm. And then I have to sit there and I have to use wife mind instead of adolescent mind. And I'd say, okay, I feel this. I feel cheated. I feel cheated. But what's real? What really happened here? And I have to sit and sort through the circumstances. So what I'm doing is I'm slowing everything down. So that instead of impulsively running off and doing something that will help me escape from the pain, I'm sitting with the pain and I'm reflecting on it and I am evaluating it. If it real pain, if it's true, or if it really something from the past. And even if it is true, my rational thinking can help me now come up with a more healthier solution than running through that. That's a quick little capsule of how that process works. That's awesome. And I think that's perfect timing for me to ask how folks can get in contact with you and follow up with you, because that being kind of the the cliff notes on the process, I imagine there's still a lot of the elbow grease and the work that needs to be done. So I would love our listeners and our viewers to have an opportunity to connect with you, doctor, and and use your services if if they need or refer you to someone who they know might need it. Well, one thing they could do to find out a lot more about me, my inner child recovery process, and of course, the book, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impact Your Sexual Addiction, is go to the website, www.innerchild-sexaddiction.com. Again, innerchild-sexaddiction.com. And there you'll see all the information. There's also, if they want, there's an online program that they can purchase, that they can walk through the entire process themselves with it. They could also reach out to me at edcappa, E-D-C-A-P-P-A at gmail.com. I am not accepting clients at this time. I am really booked through almost the summer. However, I have created a network of clinicians who do this inner child work. And therefore, I feel very confident in them. So if somebody needs help, I always reach out. Whenever anybody reaches out, I get back to them. I will get back to you and I will find out what's going on and I will hook you up with the right person who will be able to help you to deal with this. Because again, I know what it's like to live in this world. It is a dark, ugly world, but there is hope. There's hope if you take the first step and start to reach out for it. Yeah. Well, doctor, I do appreciate you not only with your service and the work that you're doing, but really the vulnerability too of you sharing your story and your journey for us early on in the episode, really bridging that gap. And the fact that you're booked out just shows the need for this and the necessity that people are reaching out looking for this help. So thank you for all that work. And I'll have those links and and contacts in the show notes. So anyone listening, if they're on their iTunes app, they can open it up right now, click those and they'll be referred over to those links or that email address right away. Doctor, thank you one more 
time and I'm going to run down some of the tidbits that you gave us along the way, just so our listeners can kind of have it for their notes, starting with the amazing mentors. When you first mentioned the transition from your old career to your new career and getting involved in your church, you mentioned the mentors that were around you. We've said it so many times on the podcast, how important it is for us to surround ourselves with folks who will pour into us in a positive way. And the identity of the childhood, the inner child within us that plays into our addictions, whether it be pornography, whether it be alcohol, drugs, working out, or the job that you're doing, we're all escaping from something and understanding the trauma that we experienced as a child could be playing into that, which is why paying attention to those triggers is some of the work that we need to do and accept in order to recover from what that addiction might be. I love when you mentioned that it's about getting away from that pain or getting away from that emotion. A lot of us sit in avoidance and the distractions that we run towards is the addiction that we have. But learning how to sit with some of those emotional traumas that happened when we were a child and approach it from an adult mind, not so much an adolescent mind or a youth mind is really where the process starts to come and we can work through what happened and find the solution to that issue and meditate on it, reflect on it and share it with someone who you have trust in. And that's where the intimacy part comes into. I think those are great foundations and groundworks for folks to work on for any addiction that they might be experiencing. When it comes to sexual and pornography addiction, please reach out to Dr. Caparucci and he could refer you to the professional that's needed. And I I really hope this is helpful to someone out there, or you can forward this over to someone who can benefit from this episode. I really appreciate you guys rocking with us this whole entire time. Thank you, doctor, for all the information that you shared with us today. I really think it was helpful for our listeners. Well, thank you. And I'm very impressed. Not only do you ask great questions, but you obviously listen, but you're able to repeat all of that back. I mean, Great. It was wonderful being here, Ted. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And for the listeners who enjoyed it as well, I would love for you guys to hit that subscribe button so you can get a new episode every single week. Share this with a friend or someone who can get value from this. As always, that's the best compliment you can give us is by sharing it with someone. And of course, subscribe, leave a rating to let us know how we're doing. We love to improve. And the best way we can do is when you let us know where we're messing up. So please be sure to leave an honest rating. And if you want to support the podcast monetarily, we have a Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. You could support the podcast and get some extra content, extra audio and footage from our guests and learn a little bit more insight from them. As for example, Dr. Caparucci loves reading in the rain. Something I love to do as well. These are things that we learn about some of the guests that we have on the show, and we appreciate every single support that you guys are able to give. As always, what we say at the end of the episode is, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.